This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and this is Talk Your Book and today we're very fortunate to be joined by none other than Tom Lambeth from VP Capital who's been one of our regular contributors to Talk Your Book. Tom, thanks very much for coming back on the show. Oh, pleased to be here, Chris. Now, uh, what stock did you want to talk about today? Liontown Resources, please. Now, if I look through the price action from uh, the market tech graph over the last 12 months, looks like they had some good drilling success at Bildania in, in March that, that led to a bit of a rewrite and the binding off take agreement with Tesla in June was something that, that the market liked soon after. It probably hasn't had the, the same explosive growth as some of the the big lithium cash producers like, like a PLS or maybe some of the explorers as well. Do you attribute that to them just being in a different phase of their journey than those other two types of lithium players? I think that's right. You know, I think we always think developers should trade on a discount naturally to producers. And I think the market's probably given the producers a bit of a halo effect because, you know, spodumene prices right now are so high. Um, and, you know, and so that, that were, they were higher throughout the, the whole year of 2022. And I think equally on the exploration side, you've probably got a little, little more sort of speculation, whereas a developer, we, you know, we know it's probably going to happen, you know, maybe the market's a bit more sort of um, tempered and rational about, about things. Now, we'll, we'll dig into to LTR and their, um, their Kathleen Valley project in a minute, but maybe let's start with the lithium market overall broadly. How are you viewing that market from a, a top-down perspective? Yeah, so I think, you know, um, you could accuse me of sort of being foolhardy here of coming onto your show and, and picking a lithium stock because um, the market you know, has been explosive, uh, you know, certainly in the last couple of years where we've just gone through one of the biggest bull markets that I've seen you know, in the commodity space. <coughs> and, um, but I think there's valid reasons that, that warrant um, you know, a look here. And you know, on, the, on the supply side, um, you know, there's, I think there's like 100 new battery factories that need to be built um, from now until 2030 to basically keep up with the forecast demand. Um, which is you know, projected to grow at between sort of 10 to 15 percent per annum. Um, now you know that's three to four times GDP. I think you know it's it's still forecast to be very explosive. Um, China uh, and the US and Europe are leading the way, but in particular China. And you know our intelligence there is um, you know EVs are flying out the door um, even even now. Um, and even I mean Albemarle forecast. EV growth to be about 40% in 2023 on 2022. So from already a high number, yeah. So, so I think, you know, there, there are demand side factors here that really support um, maybe a, a longer bull market than everyone's thinking. Uh, equally, you know, it takes a long time to build a lithium mine um, to then, you know, sell it, sell it downstream to a battery manufacturer, um, yet alone build a battery sort of factory. Um, a plant and then to you know eventually sell it to you know to an OEM um, like Tesla or Ford so there's a whole supply chain here which which needs to catch up you know I think one interesting comparison which you know a lot of smart people um, you know draw their attention to is the is the iron ore boom in in the early 2000s mm. you know is there a parallel there uh, and you know maybe I mean iron ore as you recall was 20 30 bucks a ton at the start of the 2000s and you know, when, when Andrew Forrest was sort of raising capital and building Fortescue, 
it then kind of re-rated um, structurally to you know $100 a ton and kind of stayed there. Um, and we've had cycles you know since since that, but it sort of seems to have stayed at $100 a ton. That um, was my biggest takeaway from diggers and dealers was that the people that were from West, I, th I think a lot of maybe Melbourne-based investors and Sydney-based investors, um, particularly if they're not that exposed to resources, see what's happened to lithium prices and just dismiss it as just a bubble that's going to mean revert and come crashing down. But the people in Western Australia, well, there's not just one person, but broadly speaking, the, the mood out of diggers that had, had seen that iron ore boom was that they felt this was iron ore 2.0 and you know some of the players, min resources and the like are, are sort of acting on that belief and have done well so far. So maybe just psychologically, how are you handling that, that fact that it has been such an astronomical price rise mm. already? Are you just simply looking back at the numbers and and being data focused and trying to not let your emotions rule you one way or the other? It's, it's really difficult. And, you know, psychologically, but also a lot of people have made a lot of money. And so naturally the tendency is to, to realise that profit. And mm. sometimes that can have a, um, a downward movement on share prices in the short term, which doesn't help the psychology either. So, you know, I think it's just something you have to manage and, and try and look through. Um, to, and maybe if you want to buy um, a, a stake in a company like LTR to try and you know average in over time. Um, you know, don't buy it all at once. Um, that's what we try and do. Obviously, it's easier said than done. Um, you know, on, on the psychology front, it's just something we need to deal with. I think collectively. And so let's dig into the Kathleen Valley project. How big is it? What's the grade? And, and where do you think it'll sit in the cost curve when it's it's ramped up to to full production? Yeah, so Kathleen Valley is one of the largest uh, you know, hard rock mines in, in the world. Um, Greenbushes is, is actually the largest mine, uh, which, is, which is owned by IGO and Tianchi Lithium and Albemarle. And that's, um, you know, that's sort of 2 million tonnes a year, roughly, of spodumene. Uh, Kathleen Valley is forecast to be around 700, so call it a third of the size. So it's up there. Mm. Um, the grade is, is very high. So it's high grade, long mine life and a large asset, 30 year mine life, grade of 1.4%, you know, which, which puts it um, ahead of um, you know, Galaxy's Mount Caitlin, or should I say Alchem's Mount Caitlin these days. Um, and so, and so it's, it's right up there. And it's, it's interesting because LTR owns 100% of this asset, which is an unusual situation. Um, you know, it probably puts it maybe in, in the range of being uh, acquired at some point. Um, but, but certainly high quality asset, which is one of the reasons why we like it. Um, the other reason why we like it because it's cheap as well. And started digging up some ore uh, by the open pit yet to actually produce uh, a finished product. When do you actually think they'll, they'll go into production? So 2024 is, is the forecast. <laughs> so they had an FID, a DFS finish last year um, FID, you know, capital raised, and uh, we're expecting uh, maybe DSO in, in sort of early 2024, uh, maybe a, maybe a bit earlier, um, but then you know full sort of spodumene output by by mid 2024. Um, these things are typically you know subject to delay, of course. Um, so you know, give or take, we think. And they've got upstream operations coming on. Uh, but also down the track around 2030, they're potentially planning for some downstream operations. Maybe articulate the, the difference between those two and whether or not you really even want those downstream operations to come on board or if you'd prefer them to, to save the capex and, and, and leave it for someone else. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it's, it's really um, you know, a different uh, part of the value chain altogether and requires um, 
you know, sort of specialist uh, you know, chemical engineering skills uh, to really operate and sort of take the spodumene and process it into something which is um, you know, more of an input to the battery uh, supply chain. And so these plants can, can often cost you know, billions of dollars and, um, and take you know, many years to really perfect um, the right um, sort of output. And it's a different skill, isn't it, from being mining to being a specialty chemi chemicals producer? Is that sort of fair? I think it's a completely different skill, yeah. So I, I would personally prefer as an investor in Liontown, uh, you know, for Liontown just to stick to their knitting and, and uh, stick to sort of upstream. Um, There's no requirement from the government to actually commit to the downstream processing? I mean, not, not, that, not that I'm sure the government's supportive, but um, I'd be shocked if there was a requirement. Um, that, would be, that would sort of seem a little bit... Um, onerous uh, to me. Yeah. And talk to me about the offtake agreements, signed offtake agreements with Tesla, Ford and LG and, and the debt deal as part of that, that Ford offtake agreement. Walk us through what those mean and how, how much percentage of their offtakes now spoken for. Yeah, so um, just a little under two thirds uh, of their production is spoken for. And uh, I think it's fantastic to have you know, three of you know, the biggest OEMs really in, in the world um, backing you. Um, so it's interesting the path they've chosen here and, and um, you know, obviously being in, in, a, in a tier one jurisdiction in Australia, being able to um, have offtake with, with global brand names and then use those offtakes to also, um, as part of the deal, to be able to raise some debt and help fund the project. So as a result, Chris, um, we understand the project is now fully funded um, to, to, to first production as a result of that, those debt deals and then the cash they have uh, on their balance sheet. Um, probably worth noting, just, I'll just temper that a little bit because with, with single asset companies, you can always have you know, a working capital uh, problem at some point and um, you know, with the timing of things and you may need to do a small raise to kind of bridge. Um, but we don't you know, anticipate that to happen here, but it's possible. And talk to me about just the, the broad brushstroke numbers, what the market cap is, and maybe once ramp ups occurred, assuming lithium prices stay where they are, mm. what sort of cash can, can a project like this spit out? And this is one of the reasons why we were really attracted to the, to, the, to the company. I mean, I'll give you, a, first of all, a bit of a ridiculous spot scenario, which is, um, you call it spodumene prices of 6,000 bucks a tonne US. Um, let's call it eight to 9,000 Aussie. And they're all in costs, you know, they're, they're saying is, uh, let's say it's sub 500 US. I mean, I don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that. I think, I think it's gonna blow out. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the likelihood by the time they produce it, let's, let's call it Aussie 1000 to be conservative okay. here. Um, so a spot case and they're pumping out 700,000 you know, um, tonnes a year. So you can pretty easily get to a number over $5 billion of EBITDA. And if you look at the total cap structure, market cap, you know, net cash, and, and then if you add on the, you know, the fully funded sort of debt that you need to, the pro, to get a pro forma 2024 cap structure, let's call it three and a half billion is kind of a nice round number. So spot scenario, you've got five and five and a bit of EBITDA versus, you know, an all cap structure of three and a half. Sounding pretty cheap, but <laughs> less less than one times. Is um, the meme of that soccer coach you say? Yeah. <laughs> Apologies to podcast listeners that won't see that, but um, it's juicy, isn't it? it? It's very juicy, and you know, there's the old adage of you know never buy um, a commodities you know company you know um, on the basis of a high a high commodities price, and so because you'll you'll probably lose money. Um, I think. The way we looked at this is not just to rush in and, and look at the spot scenario, but if you temper it a little bit and you know, brokers, you know, Goldman's, basically a UBS Macquarie, they've all got 
um, long-term targets of around um, low 1000s in real, uh, real terms. So that's, call it five, six, seven years away. Um, that's probably your worst case scenario in the interim. By the way, I think that's too bearish. So the interim, you could probably use, you know, between two and three and still get a number which is around, um, you know, one and a half to two times EBITDA, which we think is too cheap. And is that all in sustaining costs? Where does that put them on the cost curve? Is that the bottom quartile? Yeah, I think, look, they'll be bottom quartile, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that, that those costs won't blow out. So if you look at what's happening in, in Western Australia at the moment, um, you've got you know, very high labour costs. Um, in PLS, I think, is producing it you know, all in for more than a thousand bucks a tonne. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Kathleen Valley ends up to be in the same sort of ballpark, which would still allow them a profitable operation, uh, no question, um, at these prices. So it's a punt on, on the lithium market, absolutely. And what, what are the next potential milestones that could lead to a re-rate in the next, call it, I don't know, call it three to six months? What, what things are you looking out for? Uh, look, I think the upside risks are just the realisation by the market that this project will happen. And as we get closer to that, typically you see you know, a slow re-rate um, in, the, in the price from developer to producer. Uh, that's the obvious one. I think the second one that's un, uh, sort of, sorry, overlooked is maybe the strength of the demand in China. And, you know, let's, let's have a look at the, the BYD numbers that come out in the next quarter and then the quarter after that. And hopefully we sort of see how good they are. Um, we think in, you know, in China, owning EVs sort of become almost a status symbol. And so we think it's likely to be, you know, stickier um, for longer. And they're very, they're only kind of low single, sorry, low double digit penetrated as well. So you probably social credit score gets, gets whacked if you don't have an EV in China, wouldn't you? Yeah, possibly right. But there's, there's lots of incentives too as well and, and subsidies. And so that's the, probably the near term catalyst as well as just maybe some, some re-rate, natural re-rate. And a few people criticise uh, resource companies when they do just have a single asset, that it, it's high risk, but it also makes for a much cleaner bite size acquisition should there you know, be a fellow mining company that doesn't have exposure to lithium. Could you see a world where this becomes an attractive asset for someone you know, bigger to come and mop up? Absolutely. It, it, it is no question like higher risk and, and um, you can have all sorts of issues around working capital management um, and that can really impact you know, the share price as well. Uh, I, I think it makes sense you know, as an acquisition and I think anyone that's not in lithium that wants to get in um, I mean, BHP Rio uh, makes sense, yeah. I think, I'd be guessing, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a natural fit for, for another lithium company as well, given, given the jurisdiction and, you know, if maybe the, the, someone who's already got downstream uh, facilities built. Um, but it makes sense, you know, it makes, it's so strategic, you know. As I said, it's, it's rare to see this where you've got um, a world-class asset of this scale and one company owns 100% of it. Well, thank you for coming on. I had friends who were in the reject shop when you came on a talkie book and single-handedly dragged it up the, up the boards 6x or whatever you did. So hopefully it's a, it's a similar response for this. That's, um, that's not spruiking. Do your own research as always, but thanks very much for coming back on the show. Thanks, Chris. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.